I love that you brought up product because it it's the one area that is is screaming for this information, but it's also the one that I feel like analytics teams don't argue for. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. And there we go. And we're recording. So having a cup of coffee in my Starbucks mug from Prague. Ooh. So I picked this up uh, a couple years ago when I went over to visit uh, a client's development team in the Czech Republic. So it was, it was in a different city, but yeah, they, they had mugs, you know, Prague. It's the Starbucks. You, you are here mug series mm. so they've got them for states major cities areas and whatnot so i'm like you know what i'm gonna drink out of this this morning uh we're, well it's now afternoon for me while we're recording so two coffee related comments one i have an addiction to buying coffee mugs uh but it gets me in trouble because apparently it takes up all of the space in the uh, cupboards in the kitchen uh, we have the same problem <laughs> so, I, I, I can commiserate so, so some of my mugs are sitting behind me in my office drawers and desks, and so I don't get in trouble for having taken up too much cupboard space. Uh, and then this morning, uh, I've been researching security keys um, because uh, this beast right here makes awesome, amazing coffee. And I and maybe I mentioned this, but now my 20-year-old son is... Uh, becoming a connoisseur of the uh, dark nectar and he just pops into my office randomly throughout the day can i get a cup of coffee like this is a 10 minute process for me to get this machine going and make you coffee and so i pulled out my old uh, nespresso machine which i haven't used in a couple years and of course after a couple years of non-use and non-maintenance sustainable analytics you know comment here um it's not working so I've tried all the hacks on YouTube and none of it works. So I have to, uh, well, I'm, I want to take it apart to see if I can fix it, but you can't take it apart. <laughs> there's, there's no like, there's like, a, it's like a special screw that you have to have like the right security kind of key to open it. So, oh, interesting. I found one on Amazon for $8 and I ordered it and it'll be here tomorrow. So we'll see if it'll allow me to break into the machine and hopefully I can fix it. Yeah, yeah. Let me know. Let me know what happens there. Yeah, I will let you know. So, there you go, kids. If you want, if you want something to work, you have to commit to using it and maintaining it. You can't yeah. just, you can't just pack it away and put it on ice and think it's going to work when you pull it out in a couple of years. <laughs> Chances are, it will not work. And uh, we've seen that uh, with some analytics practices, folks saying, "Eh, 
we'll just kind of let it run on its own and it will be fine. And when we're ready to reboot it, everything will work just the same. Nope. <laughs> the code is set it and forget it, right? We'll just pick up where we left off in six months. Right? Uh, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way with coffee machines. It doesn't work that way with your analytics implementation. So did I show you my pen? No, you did not show me that. Do you know what this is? No. This oh, is, is the astronaut pen. No. It writes upside down. So have you laid down and tried writing upside down? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, okay, so you, we need results from two things. One, the security key for the Nespresso machine, and then you need to, like, this afternoon, go write some notes laying down and see if it yeah. works. <laughs> I'll report back. Nice, nice. Yeah. Goes along with my... Goes along with my set. Nice. Yeah. We, we got that coming up in two weeks. Yeah. Super Our fun little team it. building exercise. Yeah. We're building Lego together. It's going to be super fun. I posted about it on Twitter and it blew up. Did you see how much? Uh, oh yeah. I saw that. Got? And then other people right here. Oh yeah. Oh, it's bigger than I thought from the photo you posted. It's a good size. Um, yeah. Blew up on Twitter. You know, people were like, oh, this is so awesome. Like, I, wa I want to do this. And then someone posted, can we make this a national holiday or like a bank holiday? I saw that. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm considering titling it our first annual team building exercise. Mm. Yeah. You know, kind yes. of make that like almost like a, you know, as kids are going back to school, like our, our, our fall team building. Because it, it's been a while since we've all been together. And in fact, we've actually yeah. added to the team since the last time we've been together. So there's several people we haven't quite had just like a fun get together with. The last time we were together and you weren't there, uh, Jen was firing T-shirts into a really fancy chandelier in Vegas. So, And I am going to go get that clip. <laughs> it is so great. Oh, every once in a while, I'll just pull that out and watch it just because it makes me smile so much. I put it on our Instagram story. <laughs> Oh yeah, good call. Yeah, good call. That was a that was a good time. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done anything, so we still uh, still need to find some time to get together in person. But um, this is definitely going to be a fun virtual event that we're all kind of hanging out together. Yeah, and and one of the ideas behind it, because uh, people are like, oh, well, you're, you're building Lego together. Like I could kind of hear some some chirping in the background um it's it's a way for all of us to get together and it's not centered around work yeah like it's not like because i mean even the times we have gotten together at conferences it's great to get together it's still focused around work this is one way to push work to the side so we can actually spend time together as, as people and not just colleagues and co-workers and yeah not, not to say there isn't value to the in-person ones i'm not trying to say that um well, it's the, the it's the ones the, around conferences. It's it's the agenda in that it's okay simply to do something fun, you know. And um, back in the office days, we had this notion of doing you know team activities, but it always had to have some kind of like slant to it. So probably we could get you know budget for it that it had to be you know related to work, like. How is this bonding us as a team? Like what lessons are we learning that we can take back and become a stronger project team? Like, can we just do something for fun and not have it be tied back to work? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It just should be okay for us to do that. Exactly. So, um, so that's what we're doing. Yeah. 
And it, it, it's going to be a bit of a stretch to tie that into to our concept, to or our, our our topic for for today. Um, but you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm not even going to try to segue it. I'm just going to jump right in. Um, to, so to start to pivot to, to our actual topic, um, I, I, I want to talk about the value of digital analytics today. Um, their value is, is, is a relative concept. And that, that, that was one of the things mm-hmm. that kept coming back to me as I was thinking through this episode. Because there's the, the cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. What is one man's trash is another man's treasure. Value is is relative to the person, um, and and yeah. So like, I want to see. I want to talk about the value of digital analytics because if you think about it, when it comes to digital analytics, those that are in and close to it within an organization, so that analytics team, they see it as valuable. Those working with the data day to day see the the value and i'm going to beat that word into the ground today mm-hmm. they see the value in it but those on the outside often do not you know they'll brush it aside and say that that's great and all but this is what i think we need to do that's one example um and that's one of the reasons why it is often a tough go trying to sell analytics to m- management several levels above to where that analytics team sits um and we, we talked about it again last week, you know, at the start of the COVID pandemic, because for one reason or another, organizations didn't see value in digital analytics. Those teams were the first rounds of layoffs and furloughs. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that line that you said when we started things off with, uh, you know, talking about maintenance and just putting their analytics and marketing programs, you know, on autopilot. That's exactly what we heard from from people is we're going to put it on autopilot. We'll pick back up after this passes. Um, So I want to start with a basic question. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got several uh, to to talk about today, but I want to start with a basic one. What is the value of digital analytics as someone who's close to it, who's someone who's worked in it for God, what a decade and a half or more at this point. Um, maybe going on two decades soon. Um, what, what is the value of it? So from my perspective, it gives us an opportunity to, to learn more about our customers, which I don't think many organizations take that approach. If you, if you kind of take about, take a look at the experience over the last 10 to 15 years, most of the times it's about, it, it's almost operational, right? It's it's about, well, we need these pixels because it informs this marketing campaign, which apparently drives more income and revenue for us. But but no one's really talking about what the true value of it is. And, and for me, it's twofold. One, it's an opportunity to have um, an inside view over the behavior patterns of our customers, which should tell us a lot, a lot of information. Uh, you know, back in the the early days of quote following customers around, literally that's what what they did. I, I can't remember the name of the book. I think it was a Paco Underhill book where they talk about the fact that in grocery stores and department stores and say the 80s, 
they would literally have people in the stores with clipboards and paper identifying, oh, Jim just walked into the grocery store. I'm literally going to kind of from a distance, follow him around, make note of what aisles he goes down, what products he picks up and puts back, what products he picks up and puts in his cart. Um, and they did that because they knew the value of understanding the wants, needs, desires, frustrations of their customers based on their shopping patterns. And now we have such a more elegant, easy way to do that without having to manually follow someone around with a clipboard. But we've forgotten about that kind of core value of what we were trying to solve for back in the 80s. And that is to understand the behavior patterns of our customers so we can create better experiences for them. So that's number one. And then number two, and something that I've been talking about more recently, is digital analytics has the opportunity to be an incredibly valuable component of your product lifecycle, of your product management um, team. Uh, and if you think about it, it's quite the opposite of what most of our experiences has been with product in that analytics is an afterthought, a bolt-on. It's, oh, by the way, we launched this new product two weeks ago, and now the CEO wants some insight in it. Can you wire in some analytics? And what I'm arguing is, is that the true value of digital analytics is to be not, not talked about in the beginning. And, you know, we've kind of talked about that. Digital analytics needs to be thought about. You know, what, what are the requirements for digital analytics in the beginning? Yeah, that's a lot greater than having it as an afterthought. But what's even more valuable is having it as an active participant in your product cycle. Uh, meaning that rather than being a bolt-on that you use to measure your product, you actually use analytics to help inform your ideation and your product design cycles so that you're using that as part of the input along with you know input from product designers input from people that are experts in user experience just as important as including the input from your existing customers based on how they're using your products today i love that you brought up product because it, it's the one area that is is screaming for this information but it's also the one that i feel like analytics teams don't argue for they they always argue for that first part that you were talking about as far as understanding the customer understanding the customer journey how marketing campaigns perform what's going on on the site today they don't argue for the product side of it and right. and it, and as you were talking it was kind of one of those things i was like is that the reason then why when analytics teams are fighting to be at the grown-up table, we use that analogy, that Thanksgiving analogy all the time of being at the kids' table versus being at the adults' table because they ignore the product piece of it and they're only focusing kind of on the, the experience side of it, or like the, the, the site experience and what's going on in the moment that they miss out. Yeah. Because and product is at that adult table. Oh, for sure. I, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a massive opportunity. It, it is the reason why, well, it's a major contributing factor to why so many analytics teams were first to get cut in, excuse me, the initial rounds of layoffs, reorganizations, whatever you want to call it at the start of the pandemic. Think about, you bought a new truck. Yeah. Th think about your truck. Think about a really cool, valuable feature in there that if it stopped working, you can still drive your truck. And that's how we view analytics, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, in some organizations where it's working well, it's like, well, it's really nice and it makes the, you know, process a little bit more enjoyable. But if it went away, we can still, you know, drive the truck, we can still build the product. 
But if analytics where it should be is a linchpin in your product um, design process, then you can't really live without it. That's like saying, you know, well, we want to create a new product. Well, we don't have a product designer. Well, that's going to be a problem. Um, and, and until we're able to shift from a, hey, digital analytics really is about post after the fact measuring how well your product works to moving it to sure i mean it can be a measurement device but and i've always you know that term measurement pound measure kind of puts us in a bad spot right it's like oh we just measure things we're missing this huge opportunity untapped of value creation where it's not about just measuring it's about using the inputs from analytics into creating more meaningful products at the start at the very ideation phase. And if that is true and your analytics truly is an input into your product ideation stage, I guarantee you it's not the first round of layoffs when the next downturn in the economy comes. And Sadie agrees. She agrees. She always agrees. So, so let's continue, you know, down that road. Um, You know, like, you know, once that, that value is defined, you know, how can you convey it to those that aren't close to it? Because again, I completely agree because I'm close to this. There's a bias, you know, in, in my perspective here, and I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible to try to navigate this particular conversation. But, you know, in, in, in your role now, in your stage of your career, where you're at running a consulting firm, how do you convey this this value of of what your company can do for analytics to to buyers of enterprise level organizations well i mean it's like anything else that we do that we naturally include data and analysis for yet for some reason in in our businesses specifically where digital data can play an important role we we don't we we look at it again as an after fact. It's like yeah, it, it will report on how well it works. So think about you know outside of business. Think about just any major purchase that you've made. Buying a house. People that buy houses have real estate agents that use analysis and data to understand market conditions and trends to understand if the pricing is right look at comparables do analysis of uh, in order to get the right price for their buyer or seller they're using analytics as a core part of that decision making process they don't use it as a okay let's go you know buy this house and then after the fact let's use the data to see if we overpaid or not <laughs> you know or to see how happened like we don't do that we use it as a critical part of the buying process but for some reason we've got this mental blocker in business that and even in every other part of the business think about you know campaigns that you launch or acquisitions or any other thing you do you use data and analysis as a core part of that decision making process yet when it comes to product for some reason, we we shun it because maybe it's too scientific and product is more of an art. And we have, you know, we have designers and UX people and they have their experience and their 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 creativity. And that's what creates products. And we've kind of shunned the fact that data should be an input into that as in any other decision making process that we make in the business. Um, and, and again, I think it's a, a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity from the product teams. Um, to not look at data as a critical input, that it's more than just a creativity practice, that there's a scientific element to product. 
Um, but but also from the analytics perspective, you know, we need to be less um, responders and more strategic in how we position our services within the business because far too many analytics organizations just kind of sit there and say, well, we're on call. And once someone says they want something, we'll provide them something. We need to be a little bit more proactive and start beating on the door of the product managers and saying, wait a minute, why aren't you including product data as a critical component to your design process? So I think there's there's definitely blame to go around on both sides. And ultimately, what I think this comes down to is lack of executive vision mm-hmm. in that, you know, these teams can fight it out. But if we don't have an executive in the room that can come in and say, you know, data is a critical piece of our product design process, it's going to be difficult to get any kind of a, a foothold. Why do teams fall into that first responder mode? Well, I think it's natural. Um, I think, especially for those of us that work in digital analytics, it's kind of a natural for us to want to be uh, problem solvers. And so I think just our personality types of wanting to solve problems um, and solve and solve riddles, it just is naturally where we we are drawn, um, which has pros and cons in this in this conversation. It's kind of a con that we we, we get we get drawn um, to that. I also think part of it is um, it takes more effort. Um, and not that being a responder is easy and doesn't take a lot of effort, but I don't really have to think about how I'm going to structure that conversation and that part of the business and how we do things more proactively. It takes a lot of deliberate action to be able to be more forward thinking. Um, and, and, and unless you're committed to that, it's not just going to happen organically, right? Whereas if Jim is screaming at me because he has a problem and he wants to know why, you know, 50% of the people are following out on step three of the funnel. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can, you know, all of us are going to get giddy and excited about trying to solve that, but being proactive, thinking about how we can, um, think ahead and figure out where do we need to position our services. That's really hard and takes a lot of mental energy to figure out. And then again, unless we're deliberate and we're driven to try to do that, it's never just going to happen organically. It's definitely something I know I've had to work at because there is, there is that, that adrenaline rush of coming in and solving a problem or building something new that someone brings to you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely um, taken like a a bit of training. If you want to think about it for, for any, you know, to anything else that you want to do in life, it, it, it takes some practice and, and training to, to, to build that muscle of being proactive, of making sure that you're talking to the right teams and seeing what is, what, what, what are they hearing from the rest of the organization so you can contribute early? Because yeah, like it's, that is a common problem going back to what we were saying earlier about product teams. And we launched this new product where the product is launching next week. What data can you get? um from it for me to so i can know how it's performing yeah and and again it takes it takes a lot of dedication to push that conversation upstream and i would say the bulk of at least the companies that the type of companies that we work with and we've obviously helped change that culture with with our clients but the the type of companies we're in the same pool with 
the vast majority of them are still in this reactionary state um, where a product launches or a product is about to launch. And then all of a sudden we have a bunch of requirements of a, we'd really like to know, you know, A, B and C. The, the first thing to do is obviously put in the effort. And again, it's going to be incredibly difficult to change culture, but it really has to be done if you want to be seen as indispensable in your organization. You have to move that conversation as an afterthought to at least the beginning of the product development cycle, wherein you're working collaboratively with the product and development teams to think ahead of the things that we want to measure about the product and build that in as part of the product development cycle. You know, that should be the absolute first step, but we shouldn't be content in stopping there. Again, it will take a lot of deliberate effort and pushing and and honestly, some courage because it's going to be difficult for, for you to come in and kind of push your way even further to the headwaters within the product pods and say, analytics needs to have a voice in your product ideation cycles, because I guarantee you, you're going to get laughed at, you're going to get pushed out of the room, they're gonna say, what the hell are you talking about? This is for creatives, go do your math stuff somewhere else, geeks, you know, but ultimately, I think the companies that are building incredibly meaningful products that really resonate with their customers are including data as part of the design process, because data is part of that process. It isn't just some nerdy calculations that happen after the fact to measure the performance of your product. It really needs to be an input into your design process. Yeah. And you're going to get those headwinds, as, as you mentioned early on. But if you if you persevere and continue to work with them, you're eventually going to find those couple product managers where all of a sudden it's going to to resonate with them mm-hmm. where they're going to see the value and then they will be your best friends. It, I've seen it time and time again, you know, it, it takes some work, it takes some cajoling, but once you give them a little bit of insight into what they could do with it, they're going to want you on board for everything. That's they're right. going to make sure that whatever they're involved in, there is a section for you that you're going to be brought in early that you're going to be brought in to advise not just just respond that's right it's it's getting and that the the key is is getting past those initial the initial pushback once you get past that it's it it really starts to flow It, it does and i think the way to get past that initial pushback is to speak their language and i think this is a challenge that we have across the board in business is that we think that everyone else should speak our language instead of us speaking the language of the rest of the business. And it gets us in a lot of trouble and it gets us disinvited from things. And it makes this kind of initial hump or hurdle to get over with product teams incredibly difficult. And by that, I mean, we also need to put in the work and investment to understand product. You know, it's, we can't just show up and say, here's the data. We have to do the investment to learn about what it means to be a product manager, what it means to do product ideation. Just the same as it makes this sense for us to do the same effort to understand business. How does business work? What are we selling? <laughs> what does our products do? We can't just show up with the data and expect to be listened to without being able to translate it and talk about it in the language of the thing that we're supporting. And so if we're showing up to these product design meetings and saying we need to be a part of this, and then the next thing we do is say, look how cool we are with these calculations that we can do and these cool statistical models and blah, blah, blah. 
we're, we're going to be disinvited really, really quick. <laughs> we're going to be kicked out the door really, really quick. However, if we use our knowledge of all those things and then say, based on that, here's our valuable input from a design creative perspective backed by what we learned from what our customers are telling us through their behavior, then we're going to, there's a much better chance and likelihood that we'll be included. But we have to speak their language and we have to draw the outputs of the data and put it into a meaningful conversation and not just us showing up as the nerds with the numbers because it isn't going to work. Yeah. We've, we've talked, we, we've touched on that concept a couple times over, you know, over recent episodes of, of knowing how to sell this, this internally, um, you know, what the right approach and, and understanding your audience and yeah, like coming in and saying, I expect you to understand what I'm saying is going to get you nowhere. And mm-hmm. that will get you booted back to, to the kid's table. Yeah, and I think the most visual, I've shared it multiple times on the podcast, but it's worth resharing again. My most memorable experience of this happening was when I was working client side for an online dating company. And uh, I was working with our um, data scientists on, on some forecasting and modeling that we were doing. And as an analyst, I was super geeked about it. I'm like, this is so awesome. And, you know, in my once a month sit down with the executive team, I brought members of the data science team with me to present on what we were working on. And I thought it was the most amazing meeting ever. And then as we're walking out, the CEO pulls me aside, Jason, never invite them again. You know, (laughs) uh, that was a mistake. Um, Super, super smart people. We have them cranking out these models and things for a reason, but there's also a reason we don't invite them to these executive readouts. And that was what happened today. Like we have no idea what the hell they were saying and they have no desire to learn our language. So that's why we have you. (laughs) So if you want to include their voice, you need to take what they're doing and you need to come talk to us in our language and something that, that we can understand. It will get us a long way and it's going to be hard and maybe we have to kind of put our ego aside a little bit and it's really important that what I'm saying here or what I'm not saying here is we have to dumb down our message for an audience. I am not saying that at all. These are incredibly smart, intelligent people we're working with in the business, but they simply speak another language. It would be like saying, well, I can't communicate with Jim because he speaks another language. Therefore, he's not as smart as me. That makes no sense, right? Like it's. It's literally, we have to find some common ground and, and be open to the fact that the rest of the business speaks, speaks a language that right now, for the most part in analytics, we're not speaking. And that probably more than anything else is the, the largest contributing factor to why we aren't invited to these meetings, why we aren't at the adult table. It's not that they necessarily, they don't really want us there. It's that they probably very much want us there, but it's incredibly awkward and frustrating to invite us and have us off in the corner speaking a different language than everyone else in the organization is speaking. And not just speaking a different language, but getting way too easy. That yeah. That is also a characteristic of people who work in this space, whether it's on the implementation side of things or the analysis and insight side of things people get very, very weedsy. And one of the things I've noticed working with senior management, again, it's not 
dumbing it down. Like we, I, I, I want to be very clear to also reinforce what you said. We are not talking about dumbing it down. We are not talking about making it simpler than it is. It's being careful when you introduce de details because senior executives, the minute that you get into details that they don't understand, the behavior I've seen is, is if I don't understand this, I see risk and I am not going to okay anything that I don't understand the risk about. That, that's right. And, and it's the importance of understanding your customer and what they are trying to solve for and knowing the right level of detail and conversation to give them that's going to help solve that um, versus make the conversation more difficult. And speaking of, as we started this out, you know, the astronaut pen and the Lego set talking about Seinfeld, there's an episode where Jerry hires a contractor to redo the cabinets in, in his kitchen. I think his name is Connie. Um, and if you remember the episode, he's asking Jerry all these questions, almost in a way to show off his knowledge of, of cabinetry, carpentry, cabinetry. Uh, he's talking about all the different kind of like hinges that he can put on the cabinets. And he's asking Jerry, like all these technical specifications around the hinges. And Jerry's like, I don't know. I just want it to look good and open like this. Like you figure out like what the specifications are. Like that's, you're an expert on that. I'm not. And it was incredibly frustrating to Jerry because he's asking him all these things that are in a language he doesn't speak, nor a language he wants. He doesn't want to speak it. He just knows that he wants the cupboards to look good and open in a certain way. And we and we kind of fall into that same trap that when we do have the opportunity to present to stakeholders, we get caught up in wanting to impress them with our knowledge. So we're talking about all these different hinges and how they work and, you know, the physics behind them and, and the executives that we're talking to is like, wait a minute, we just want, we just want to know how to open the, the cupboard door and that it's going to look good. And it's not to, it's not going to conflict with other cupboards that we have in the kitchen, but we can't, it's, it's oftentimes very difficult for us to get unstuck, even with them telling us, look, I don't know, figure it out, you know, but, but, but listen to us talk about all the stuff we know, you know, we're so, we're so, we're so excited to do that. And it's not really doing us any favors. Exactly. It's almost this thing is if you have to get into the details, you're either looking for me to approve it or understand it. And if I can't do either, then there's a problem. It's, yeah. it's it, it, it coming back to it. It's again, it's not dumbing it down. It's streamlining the conversation. What it's information? Clearly. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's making sure that what you're saying is valuable and you're cutting out the extra. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've, we've felt so suppressed in the organizations for so long, almost like, you know, the Milton of the organizations that we've kind of been locked in the basement and it's just like the nerds are down there doing their, their work. Um, that anytime we get an opportunity to come out of the basement, it's almost like we don't know how to um, handle ourselves in a social situation. We're like yep. socially awkward and we're like, look what I can do. Was that from Saturday Night Live? Uh, look what I can do. Look at all this cool stuff I can do. And they're like, okay, time for you guys to go back downstairs again. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's understandable because we haven't had the light of being up on the higher floors in the organization. And when we get up there, we kind of panic and just get geeky and excited and we're a bit out of control. And that reinforces this belief of why we're positioned where we are down in the basement. And so I think 
are a real challenge for us is to put in the work to figure out how to be a little bit more socially graceful when we have those opportunities to meet with executives, because if we're reinforcing the beliefs that we need to be down in the basement kind of doing math, that's where we're going to be. If we get the chance to come out and all of a sudden we're, we're acting in a completely different manner than expected, they're going to start saying, well, wait a minute, why do we have these guys locked in the basement? They should be up here on the executive floor helping us think about strategy and design and kind of forward thinking plans. And so, you know, we've put on, I've put on, you know, a lot of the blame on lack of executive support and other teams not involving analytics and they really should, but you know, we, we can blame all day long, but there's never going to be any into that blame. What, where our energy should be put is, is figuring out how to be a bit, again, more socially graceful and, and provide a, an experience that is different than what we've been painted with and really start acting like we belong in these executive social circles rather than again, panicking when we get in there and the acting like, you know, the over caffeinated kid that wants to show off all the cool things that they can do. Yeah. Um, so as we begin to wrap up, um, I, I want to ask the question that we've started including in in all of our episodes as, as a way to to tie a lot of this together tie a lot of these conversations together everything that we've talked about today what does it all mean in the concept in the context of sustainable analytics well i think we we talked about um you know talked about at the at the beginning of of these teams getting cut being transient there's no way that you can build something meaningful over time, something that's sustainable, if there's no sustainability within your team. And so really that's where it, it ties to that if you're going to make analytics a, a long-term value add to your organization, you need to have sustainability within your analytics team itself. And if you're seeing lots of turnover and you know it's a very transient role, there's no way that that is going to happen. You need people that are going to be in their long-term, be future and forward thinking. And the only way to do that is to really start to build some stability into the role. And it's it's kind of a two-way street. And in, in one, the way to do that is to value the role. And I think a lot of people are moving from these roles because they don't feel valued. And, and really the, the way to do that is the kind of the core of this conversation that we've had today is that we need to move the analytics team out of the basement into the boardroom. Once we do that, we start to get longer term investments in our analytics program, which if we have everything else in place, starts to create the environment where we're creating more sustainable analytics that are built for, for the long term. I think that was really well said. I don't have anything add to add to it, so I don't want to take away from it. So I think that gives us a, a good place to to wrap up this week. Um, a lot to a lot to think about. Again, yeah. it's 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 making sure that you're not. I, I think to to sum it up too. To add one more thing from from my side, as as we're wrapping up, everything that we've talked about today, it was about value. Mm -hmm. And it's making sure that what you're providing is seen as valuable to the organization, not just volume that you're checking off that you did certain tasks. Couldn't agree more. And that's, and, and making that mental shift again is going to continue to push us up 
higher in the organization. It has to be about the value we're creating. It can't just be about the appearance of work. Agreed. So let's go ahead and wrap up there for this week. Um, and we'll talk to everybody later. See you. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.